This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. Welcome to Collaboration Dynamics. I'm Judy Reese, and with me today is Mark Kilby. Hello, Mark. Hello, Judy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm delighted that you could join me today because uh, you're one of the people who I've known about, I suppose, more than known online for a long time. And when we finally met the other week, it was absolutely excellent. You, you were even more wonderful than I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. Uh, so um, I'm I'm in what in one of those strange roles called an agile coach. So I help organizations with their agile transformations. Have been doing it oh for a number of years since uh, 2003. So about 12, 13 years now. Been in software for much longer than that. Uh, and in the last two years, went from. Uh, a consulting coach on the ro- road to back into uh, an internal uh, position. Uh, so I'm a full-time employee now for a wonderful company called Sonatype. Um, so uh, one of the interesting things about Sonatype is we are completely distributed, as you and I discussed before. And so we all work out of our houses using uh, these agile project me- methodologies. And so uh, uh, it's It's been a wonderful experience and enjoy it very much and give me the opportunity to meet you. So glad to be here as part of that. Yeah, of course, I, I'm absolutely fascinated by how distributed teams are making that work for themselves. Um, so that's part of why, why I wanted you to be on, on this call. Yeah, um, and something tells me we're going to have more conversations on that. <laughs> I hope so. So for you, is working in that way with Sonotype, would you regard that as a collaboration? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Agile, uh, for those who are not familiar with the process, uh, Agile is extremely collaborative. It's it's heavily dependent on collaboration. But what's unusual about my current situation is uh, most people in the in in the Agile space or the Agile profession would say the the only way it works well is face to face. However, we're finding it also works very well in our distributed environment. Um, and and I think it's actually one of the reasons why it works well is because we're using Agile and because of that collaboration. Mm. Yeah, one, one of the recent uh, interviewees on this podcast was saying, well, it may not be so, so that Agile is better online than it is face-to-face, but the point is that when you've got a distributed team, you need Agile even more than you did before. Absolutely, absolutely. I've, I've, I've been on traditional or what's sometimes called waterfall teams uh, that were distributed. Oh, it was not pretty. (laughs) What kind of things happened? Uh, Well, just uh, basically all all kinds of uh, miscommunications and crossed expectations and uh, very easily uh, getting siloed. One of the tendencies that can happen uh, working online, as as I know you're familiar with, is it, it's very easy to kind of sit in front of your machine and and tune everything else out to focus on your work. Um, but that's where you can get into trouble if it's if it's a longer project or if you do have uh, other people 
that need to be involved in the in the work. And so what Agile says is you should find a way to involve those people as often as possible, perhaps even daily. Mm-hmm. And so with our Agile teams, they're they're actually communicating with each other throughout the day, both synchronously and asynchronously, and uh, also reaching out to our sales and, and marketing teams and sometimes even customers as part of that. And so what what I've seen is with what we have now from a from a technology infrastructure standpoint, we can we can reach out to the people we need to reach out to and collaborate in in a moment's notice, uh, just as if we were face to face. And so when you're, you personally, not you as a group, but you personally, when you are collaborating at your best, you are like what? So as I shared with you uh, before we started the podcast, I had listened to a few others. And the first time I heard you ask that question to somebody, an image popped into my mind that I had never considered before. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I'm collaborating at my best, it's, it's almost as if, if you can imagine just a very quiet pond in the woods. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a, there's a, like a gentle rain that starts to happen and you see the drops hitting, hitting the pond and they, and the, the ripples start bouncing off each other and forming new patterns that weren't there before. Um, that's, that's what collaboration is like for me when it, when I'm at my best, I just ideas bouncing off uh, others and, and different things. And uh, it, it just, it excites me. It gives me a great deal of energy just to even think about the image. Mm-hmm. So a, a very quiet pond in the woods and a gentle rain and the ripples forming mm. new patterns that mm-hmm. weren't there before. Yeah. Is there anything else about that very quiet pond in the woods? Yeah, good question. Um, so, I think for me, it it says that there there still has to be the right conditions for collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, there 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 has to be, I guess, in that in that stillness, uh, there there has to be uh, an equality. Uh, everyone participating uh, has has basically the this they're at the same level and I think maybe that's what the pond represents for me mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so and they can drop information in as they need to or as they as they feel they need to to contribute so uh, the, some drops may be more frequent than others mm-hmm. uh, but it's funny as you as you said that I I thought about there might be cases where that stillness can be disrupted and and the collaboration can be disrupted and and as I think about this it's it's tied very much to our uh, remote 
or virtual workspaces that we're in now, there, there's, there's um, a tendency to be disrupted, to have too many things going on, just like uh, the, the, uh, the gentle rain in the pond turning into a deluge. Mm-hmm. And there's too much going on. You can't see the patterns because there's just so much hitting. And uh, I think the information that we can get from our from our, our virtual workplaces can be like that. So we have to look at how do we set the right conditions for that collaboration. Mm. Uh, and that, I think that applies as much, you know, in um, face-to-face uh, uh, as as it does to to online connections. You know, how do you how do you make sure you are connecting with the others in that collaboration? How do you set those conditions? Mm. So when it that gentle rain and you need to stop that gentle rain from turning into a deluge, what needs to happen for gentle rain like that? You you need to control the flow. Mm-hmm. And, and actually um, everyone involved needs to control the flow. Um, so it's interesting, as you, as you asked that, it, it reminded me of some of the more traditional facilitation training that I had went through uh, early on in my career. And a lot of it was about the facilitator mm-hmm. controlling the meeting. And um, I think that's not quite right mm. uh, for the kind of collaborations that we have now. It's more, is 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 everyone feeling connected? Uh, and the facilitator still responsible for checking in on that, but um, you might think about what working agreements you might have in place so that people are connected. So as a more concrete example, one thing that I'm always very conscious of in in an online collaboration is no matter what tool I'm using, I always have some sort of back channel. Mm -hmm. There's there's quite a bit out on the the web uh, written on uh, back channels. I have a I also have a blog post on my site, but the idea is you always have some easy to access communication channel so that if all of the rest of your technology fails, you'll still feel connected with the rest of your group. And that's, that's what a back channel and collaboration is all about. And so I always try to make sure there's at least that connection. Mm-hmm. And that connection, that connection that stays, e- even if everything else goes wrong, What's the relationship between that back channel and control the flow, which means there's gentle rain rather than deluge? Well, and this is where it it gets to um, a more uh, individual nature in the in the collaboration, and and there's um, you know I hadn't thought about it before, but in a way with 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 some of the work I do now and others I, kn- I know in, in the online um, coaching and facilitation space, there's, there's a meta collaboration. Mm-hmm. Of, of a, uh, it's, it's, it's making sure that not only people feel connected, but they're, they're able to have some control mm-hmm. over, over the collaboration. So a little bit of that is, is really getting to know the different participants in the meeting. And sometimes that's hard if it's the first time you've met them, but if you're, if it's a team you've been working with for an extended period of time, um, 
as the facilitator or team lead, or if you want to say scrum master or agile coach, whichever, uh, you want to take the time to get to know the individuals and understand what's important for them. Uh, and, and also why I'm exploring a little bit more of your world uh, and metaphor, uh, because I, I'm, I'm very curious as a way to better tune in to my teammates, but also not just for the facilitator, but for them, uh, for, for each of the team members to understand uh, what what does each individual need and how can they help control the flow of, of information that they have some control over into the into the collaboration? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody this morning about how using clean language, we can get people to understand themselves and how they work and also share that information with their colleagues and the colleagues get to understand how they work. And as a result, you get a, a beautiful web of interconnectedness was the, the the metaphor that this morning's person used. Mm -hmm. um, for you, when you understand and they understand that kind of stuff, then they have more control themselves over the collaboration. Oh yes, yes. Um, not only uh, control for them, but they have more of an ability to help others in the collaboration. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the key ideas at Agile is to have um, self-managed teams or self-organizing teams. And to have that, there, there has to be an understanding of what are each individual's strengths, what are their weaknesses, uh, how, how they recognize those, and how they support each other in moving the work forward leveraging each other's strengths. And mm -hmm. so in in understanding each other in in a collaboration, whether it's it's in the moment or extended, looking for, hey, is is somebody having problems with with the work? Is somebody having problems with the information flow right now? And how can we help them out with that? And so tuning into that uh, minimally as facilitator, but really trying to get each of the team members to tune in on that. Uh, is is where you you get those just right collaborations that gentle pond with the with the drops falling just the right way and making some very interesting new patterns. Mm. And when the pond is like that, just like that, with those interesting new patterns, whereabouts are you? For me, I'm just kind of looking out over the pond, appreciating the patterns, appreciating mm -hmm. how some of the, the things that are forming out of that collaboration never could have been planned. Mm -hmm. But just by bringing the right people together in, in that collaboration is where you and setting the right conditions, as we said before, is is just getting some some amazing things to emerge out of that. Um, related to that, I'm I'm a big fan of open space technology. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you're familiar with that, but just uh, for your audience, if they're not, um, essentially open space. It's actually been around for about 30 years, 
And the idea is, how do you bring a group of people together for a day, two days, three days to, to discuss a theme that's important to all of them, uh, maybe even critical to all of them, but not have an agenda? Let the criticality of that issue kind of drive the agenda. And then that first day they come together and figure out what topics do we need to discuss? When do we need to discuss them? And uh, I've, I've now, I've been, I've been in many, I've been uh, over the last year and a half facilitating a few. And it always amazes me what patterns you see out of such meetings. And one of the patterns you always see at the end is the people who've experienced it for the first time are just amazed at how much they got accomplished, how much was shared, mm-hmm. and, and, and they want to do it again. How many times can you have, have you been in a meeting or conference and say, yes, I want to do this again? That's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the kind of patterns I, I love to observe and, and love to try to help make happen. Mm-hmm. And there's something in there about the right conditions for that to happen. I'm Mm -hmm. reminded Mm -hmm. about a comment that was made on a feedback wall in the event we were both at in Berlin recently. Someone saying that the open space that they'd just done was the first open space session they'd ever been to that didn't suck. And that shocked shocked me because every time I've experienced open space, I've thought, wow, that was really useful and interesting and Mm -hmm. so much better than I expected. Um. And here was someone saying the opposite. And my suspicion is that the previous occasions when he's felt the the encounter sucked, presumably didn't have the right conditions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I've, I've heard that as well from um, other folks. And, and when I asked them about their experience, um, in not, not getting too much in a open space facilitation, but just mm-hmm. asking them about those conditions, it was it was exactly that case is, yeah, we kind of twisted this or we modified this because we didn't believe this would work. Sometimes just taking something like an open space event for, for what it is. It's like, you know, just sometimes you just have to go with something that you haven't tried before, but you've heard works well rather than trying to modify it up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, people often try to do this with agile and and that's where you you get some failed uh agile projects is people say well yeah the time box thing is is good or yeah the self-organizing team idea sounds good but really feel we need to tweak this or and that's where they they get into trouble as they they start they start messing around with those those conditions that um have been designed to, to really get the collaboration to work well, to really get the teams uh, to high performing. And, and the, the tricky thing is, is if it's an experience that's brand new to those collaborating, uh, it, it's absolutely critical to make sure that environment is just right. So uh, whether, it's, whether it's an open space event or a team going into Agile for the first time, you, you, you really want that facilitator to hold those conditions as much as possible to be ideal. Sometimes it's not, but, you know, as best as you can so that the team can really 
feel the feel the collaboration. They can really feel the the energy of that collaboration, just like you'd feel the energy of the raindrops on 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 the pond. Um, there there's there's a there's a rhythm even in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting from a clean language point of view. And I, I've told you the story. I'm sure that the way I've got into this whole virtual facilitation thing was getting into clean language. When I first got into clean language, everyone was saying, well, clean language is such a physical, such a visceral experience. It's got to be done face to face. It's all about the energy between the facilitator and the client. And you can't, mm-hmm. you can't generate that if you're not in the f- same physical space. And myself and my then colleague were saying, well, never mind, you can't. We think you can. Yeah. Um, and not only do that, we think you must, because people can't always be in the same physical space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we figured out how to how to generate that kind of energetic connection, even over a phone line. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it wasn't an instant thing. The first couple of times we tried things, they didn't work. And so I suppose there's a similar process about taking Agile into a distributed team. That how do you how do you tweak the conditions such that it works online without being one of those people who tweaks the process so it doesn't work anymore? Yeah, that that could be several more interviews, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll try the short version here. Um, so so as part of it, it, it kind of to um, got to understand who who are the individuals on the team what's important to them why in the world are they even choosing to work this way um and 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 I actually did that with the the uh the first team I came to work with at Sonotype and I I just wanted to understand you know how they got there uh what was important to them to work this way, and what did they get out of it? And uh, and so, as part of that, I, I listened very carefully to each one of them, and then I asked them what was missing. Um, and sometimes that can be very simple. Sometimes it requires a little more work. But if you if you listen to the teams, you listen to what the individuals are looking for, and then as again the the agile leader or scrum master or coach, if you if you start moving the conditions to to help the team find those things. So concrete example, uh, with that team, uh, that first team at Sonotype, the first thing I heard was, well, we've been doing Scrum for about a year and it's okay, uh, but the meetings last really long. I went, really? That's interesting. So the first thing I did was, okay, how can we make these meetings as, as efficient as possible? And uh, so, there, there were some some long planning meetings and other long meetings, and so we got many of the meetings down to uh, 30 minutes or less. Uh, the stand-ups, which should usually be no more than 15 minutes, we got down to five to seven minutes. And after a while, I asked them, "How's that working for you?" They go, "No, it's pretty good." And and then uh, I got to the point where I started asking them, "Could you guys run these?" I said, "You really don't need somebody here to run this, do you?" And so they started actually taking ownership of some of the meetings and then started making some of their own changes. And so, so as part of those conditions, it's like, all right, what is it that you guys need uh, to, to make this collaboration in the moment successful, whether it's a stand-up meeting or a planning meeting or a review of the, the work of, 
of an iteration. What do you guys need to make this successful? And so uh, we've we've got some of those conditions set up for some of the teams, and and that can change over time as well. And so part of my role as an agile coach is to kind of pay attention to those changing conditions. And is there something else that I can I can help the teams with so that they they get back to those optimal conditions to to do what they need to do and deliver uh, what they need to deliver in their collaboration. Mm, that's interesting. I'm I'm wanting to ask you in that process that you just described, what happens to the pond and the gentle rain? So. If, ah. if you think back to just when you started with Sonotype, how was it? And I'm going to assume that the optimal conditions generate the very quiet pond in the woods with the gentle rain. So what what changes in in, in the pond or in or around the pond when conditions are, are less than opt optimal? So... Um... Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of different answers right now, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so um, having, having grown up in the, the woods or sticks uh, of, of Florida, uh, I'm, I'm very accustomed to, to kind of paying attention to the environment. And, um, and if you, if you look at any, any pond over time, you'll, you'll notice that conditions will change. Something, something will come in to the environment, something will move out, and sometimes that will help things thrive or it can actually kill things off. And it's, it's the same way with our teams and how they collaborate. There's, there's always some sort of change happening. Sometimes it's slow and subtle. Sometimes it's, it's quick and, uh, surprising. Um, and as, as the, the leader or coach, it's, it's how do you, how do you help the team adjust for that? So, so that they can get back to those, those optimal conditions. Mm. And, oh, there are so many other questions that could follow that. And I'm realizing that with one eye on the clock, we should be drawing this to a close. So, See, I, I warned you there were going to be multiple conversations. <laughs> I want there to be more of these. Um, but before we finish, um, is there anything else that you would like to say about that pond? Yeah, so um, if, if there are other leaders out there that are, are either working with agile teams or, or considering just how to get their team more collaborative. Uh, think, think about your te the team overall as, as a, as a living, breathing environment. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you're, you're, you're the, you're the keeper, you're the trustee of, of that, of that, you know, you've, you've got to maintain that ecosystem and the, not only the, the agile coaches, but I would say even the executives uh, that I have met and worked with that either rapidly build up a division or a business or maybe it's a brand new startup, the ones that I find that are successful these days are very good 
ecosystem builders. They're mm-hmm. very good keepers of, of the ecosystem. They understand that. Um, so that's, that's always something I try to coach or, or mentor new coaches on is, is pay attention to that ecosystem. Don't assume that you have, you know, the right solution. Pay attention to what that ecosystem needs and see if you can help provide that. Beautiful. So much to think about there. Before we finally come, bring this to a close, if people want to find out more about you, about what you've been talking about, get in touch with you and so on, who would you like to hear from and how can they find you? So uh, always happy to, to talk to those uh, just coming into Agile or, or looking to uh, get into the Agile coaching space or anybody dealing with distributed teams. Uh, that, that was one of the reasons why we met at that event mm-hmm. in Berlin. Um, that, that's my real passion right now is, is how do we, how do we really improve the, the collaboration of these agile teams in, in a distributed environment? So the, the best way they can reach me is, um, they can, uh, connect with me on Twitter as M Kilby, M K I L B Y. Uh, I'm, I'm often on there. Uh, you can reach me through my website, markkilby.com, and you'll also see some blog posts on, um, some of the, the distributed facilitation techniques I use and also links to some of my work at Sonatype right now because there's some more blog posts on the Sonatype site. So markkilby.com is, is the easiest way to get to that information and to, to reach me. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Judy. I really appreciate it.